we can go into it, uh, we'll go into it legitimately, if you will, so that we know that uh, rather than just trying to kind of chase our tail, we don't do anything halfway uh, in all fairness. But tonight I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 26. We're going to, just as a warning, we're going to turn quite a bit tonight. And uh, I, want to kind of, I want to get into something I believe, not only, originally when I taught this, I, I taught this, this thought here about four years ago. Much of it's going to obviously be based on some of the teaching that came uh, from the lesson in the life of Paul. Let me line myself up on this thing. It's not working, Bailey. There it goes. All right. So, and, um, but I want, to, I want to speak to you on the character of Paul tonight, how it applies into our life. The, the theme, if you will, is the God factor. So the theme of the, of the, of the lesson tonight is, is the God factor in Paul's life. Okay. So we look at Acts chapter 26 and in verses 1 through 8. The Bible says that Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. And then Paul stretched forth his hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be an expert or be expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews, wherefore I beseech thee to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first, among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if, there would, if they would testify that after the most strainest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come. For... Which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? So Paul is accused of teaching and preaching, as you know, when he was arrested, and we'll briefly touch on that here in just a moment. When he was arrested, he perceived that the council was a mixture of both Sadducees and Pharisees. Same council that he was once on. The Sadducees did not believe in a spirit nor a bodily resurrection, or any type of resurrection for that matter. And so Paul, understanding that they were about to put him to death, but knowing that his time was not yet, Dropped that, dropped that bomb to them when he was arrested in Jerusalem about his position of being a Pharisee in his youth and the belief in the resurrection. And that just caused all kinds of dissension because, well, the Pharisees didn't want to destroy one of his own. And then the Sadducees they started fighting amongst themselves. And, well, the chief captain stepped in and says, no, we're going to save this old boy. And now he, here he is <clears throat> in front of Agrippa in Caesarea. So he's, he's, he's being accused here of all kinds of false accusations. But he's laying on the line here his character, his, his position, his belief. He's not backing down. Now I ask you tonight about your character. And given what trouble or trials or tribulation or struggles that you may go through, what may it take for you to step away from your character? D.L. Moody said character is what a man does in the dark. It's what he does behind closed doors. When, when no one is looking, when no one sees what you're doing, saying, thinking, acting, whatever it may be, that's what true character is. And hard times and troubles and 
And, uh, you know, false accusations will bring your true character out. So what type of man do you suppose Paul would have been? <clears throat> we've heard my opinion of, uh, of or we, sorry, we've heard many people's opinion of, of what he looked like, acted like, spoke like, wrote like, and much of what we hear <clears throat> from men today uh, in reality are baseless opinions. For some reason, it seems that, that uh, there's an influx of men behind the pulpit today who want to, to draw negative conclusions concerning uh, the Apostle Paul. They, they, they search deep and wide to find fault and failure in his life. I think it's quite a shame as this man of God who is a chosen vessel of God. But as usual, the scripture will reveal the truth, and we thank God for that today. Uh, just like he did back then, he does it today. Now, I realize, guys, Paul was just a man. He's a human being, just like we are. And being such, he deals with the same things that all mankind uh, deals with ever since the fall of Adam. We understand that. So I don't want to set Paul up on a, um, on a pedestal or, 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 or give him more credit or glory than he deserves. God gets the glory, keep in mind. But I want us to understand that there are some variables that one cannot, and I say must not forget, in Paul's life, and that's what I call the God factor. That's the theme as we look at the character of Paul tonight. Look over in verses uh, 13 through 19 in the same chapter tonight, <clears throat> chapter um, 26. Paul begins to give his testimony, and this is where this God factor plays a part in his life. We know that Paul is on his way to Damascus at this time as he's uh, in the midst of this uh, testimony. And he's going there with commission from the chief priest to arrest those that name the name of Christ. We'll pick up in verse 13. He says, At midday, O king, I saw in the way, of a, li a, way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul. Why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, and I will appear unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and, and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and, and of those things in, in the which I will appear unto thee. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. <clears throat> now some of the things we have here in the midst of his testimony, I want to I draw some attention to before we get into our first point and description of, of Paul's character. I want you to notice here, um, in verse 14, he says, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul. So if there's any clarification that anyone may need or want about what tongues are, they're summed up right there. If there was a quote-unquote heavenly tongue that some groups of people, especially up the street, like to use, all right, otherwise known as gibberish, which isn't a language, amen? It's summed up right there, because if there was a gibberish, babbling, you know, uh, 
spiritual tongue ever used, it would have been used right here in Paul's life. Yet Paul heard him in the Hebrew tongue. Amen. Somebody asked me one time, what language do you think we'll speak in heaven? Well, if it is a language that we know today, it'll be Hebrew because God spoke to Paul in Hebrew. And you say, well, Paul was Hebrew. Yeah, but Paul spoke about 15 different languages. Amen. You know, could have, could have chosen any of them. Amen. Now, I don't know what language you're going to speak in heaven. Really not worried about it, to be honest with you. Amen. I know what we're not speaking. It ain't gibberish. Amen. Not one time in the book are tongues ever referred to gibberish. Amen. Acts chapter 2, every man heard them in their own language. It is a spiritual manifestation from tongue to ear, where one man will speak his language, Hebrew Peter would have been speaking, and every man would have heard them in their own language, be it German, Welsh, English, whatever it may have been, amen? But that's in Acts chapter 2, all right? And you see it a handful of more times in the book of Acts, which is transitional, and then it disappears and never shows back up again, Okay? Paul's very clear about that when he addresses the Corinthian church, who is playing around with that stuff, when he sums it all up in Acts chapter 14. Speaking of tongues is not for the saved. That's verse 22 of chapter 14. It's for the lost, okay? It is not for the saved. So that's one thing that Paul's testimony kind of clarifies right here. Clears up and nips that thing in the butt, who Barney Fife would have said. And when he goes here, he says in verse 15, Who art thou, Lord? First off, the, the, Paul already knew this was God speaking. His clarification was a name that he wanted. He says, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Now, we know by, by the event that occurred in Acts chapter 9 that Paul's very next words were what? What would thou have me to do? There wasn't any, I need some evidence, I need some proof. What would thou have me to do? And the Lord tells him, Arise, stand upon thy feet. Now, watch this. We see, I have appeared unto thee. For this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both to these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which, watch this next verse, I will appear unto thee. You see, after Paul goes and preaches in Damascus, preaching Jesus was the Christ, he leaves and spends 40 days, this is between Acts chapter 9 verse 20 and Acts chapter 9 verse 22, and he goes and receives the revelation that we read about in the book of Galatians chapter 1 where he went into Saudi Arabia. We see that in the book of Galatians. That's the next appearing at Jesus Christ. This is the mystery that was hidden uh, uh, to everyone until Paul came. What is that mystery? Well, it's a, it's a multifaceted mystery, but number one, it was that Jews and Gentiles are going to come under the same blood, same spirit, same salvation. We see that later on in his testimony to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. Amen. That's one part of the mystery. The other part of the mystery was the rapture of the church that Paul preached and wrote about so often, amen. A mystery that was hidden before anyone else at all. So the Lord will appear to him. So he appeared unto him again. And of course we see delivering thee from these people. So I'm saying all that to say this, guys. But here is a testimony of a man who went from breathing out, threatening and slaughter against the church to becoming the church's greatest leader, preacher, missionary, church planner this world has ever seen. How in the world could and, or, and did this happen? How could this? I mean, when you think a murderer here, and yet God chooses this man, calls him, delivers him, and sends him to the very people he was trying to kill. That's called the God factor. That is the God factor, my friend. That's, verse 16 clears the whole thing up. Clears it up. We've already read it. So what's the character of Paul? 
What is the character of Paul, a man who is saved and born again of the blood of Christ? We find, number one, that Paul is an honest man. He's an honest man. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Now, so for those that may be watching and listening later on or, or now, or, or those of you here that may be thinking that i, I got to be honest just to my brothers and sisters in Christ and, and everyone else doesn't matter, Paul says all men, all right, everybody, every person on the face of this planet, including yourself, you need to be honest with, amen? 2 Corinthians in chapter 8 and uh, verse 21 says, providing for things honest, I mean, sorry, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. 2 Corinthians 13, 7, I pray to God that you do no evil, uh, not that we should appear approved, but ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. Otherwise, if you're not doing honest things, amen, Paul says you're, you're, you're like a reprobate. You know what a reprobate is? A God denier. A matter of fact, a reprobate heart is spoken about in Romans chapter 1 is someone who is done. They're never going to be, they can't be saved, amen. That's harsh, didn't it? God turned him over to a reprobate mind to do those things which were not convenient, amen. Now, if you're going to provide things honest, we could park there for a little while, just kind of, kind of dig into that thing. I, I think of what Malachi said. Will a man rob God? Yeah, you have robbed me in tithes and offerings, he says. If you don't tithe biblical, you're not living honest. That's just all there is to it. If you're trying to nickel and dime God and, and give him your leftover, God ain't interested in it. He ain't going to bless that. Amen? Well, preacher, I can't afford it. You can't afford not to. If you're not being honest to your neighbor, and I mean speaking honest words, guys, you, you know the truth. Amen? If you try to change the inflection of your voice, uh, even though it's a, we heard that story about Dr. Adrian Rogers pulled over by a police officer, and you knew he had a headlamp out, and and the officer said, you got a headlamp out. And Dr. Rogers said, i got a headlamp out. Well, all he did was repeat him. He, he agreed that he had a headlamp, but he, inflected, he, he used fluctuations in his voice to make it sound like a question. And the officer went back, and, and as he went back, the Holy Spirit of God got a hold of Dr. Rogers and rebuked him, man. He says, man, i gotta, <laughs> I got to confess. I, I knew I had a headlamp out, you know. But I'm sorry. And he asked forgiveness to that officer. He didn't get a ticket, but nonetheless, provide things honest, guys truthful pay god what is his that's why i say it's time for us to pay us his tithe and our offerings amen i mean I, we, we've been over this time and time again you guys know how to how to uh you know math man 10 percent is 10 percent. that's the starting point amen you know 10 percent of everything that you make is not yours that is all god's and if you spend one pence and one penny of that you're robbing god you're not providing things honest and you can't be an honest man or a woman Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, the Bible says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of, of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So, guys, Paul's character was that of an honest man. That's one of the things that we need to understand. What things was, was he honest in? You know, what... what in his life, what would you say he was honest in? Well, number one, we're going to say that he was honest in his walk. Look over in Romans chapter 13 with me. Romans 13. Try to get there quickly tonight, and I'll watch the time. I'll be sensitive to that this evening, as we know we have prayer meeting coming up on the back end. 
He was honest in his walk. Romans 13, 13 says, Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy. Amen. Now, here, here's a timeline I want you to consider in thought of what you just read in Romans 13, 13. After Paul's farewell speech to the Ephesian elders, Paul moved through several places, working his way back to Jerusalem. He wanted to be there for the feast. And he writes Romans, he writes this letter we just read, Romans 13, 13, but the whole letter. He writes this in the spring of AD 58, okay, before Passover. He writes it from Corinth. He sends the letter onward and then travels to the holy city, stops off in Caesarea, meeting Philip, the famous evangelist, sits down with his two daughters and this and that. Keep in mind, Philip and Stephen were like best friends. So the first time Philip is sitting down with the man who is consenting unto Stephen's death, amen, in all those years, okay, 20, nearly 20 years was when Stephen was killed and consenting to the Bible. He sits at a table with him. That's, that's, a, that's a big thing. Uh, he then comes to Jerusalem. He's subsequently arrested. And um, some believe this is the first time. Others believe it's uh, the final days outside of incarnation of some, some sort. But nonetheless, he's, he's arrested for the first time here in Jerusalem. And uh, later on, he's sent to Caesarea. Now, he, notice, he writes here in Romans 13, 13, Let us walk honestly as in the day. Yeah. Well, I want you to turn over to Acts 23. Acts 23 with me real quick. This goes to his arrest, all right? Same year, AD 58. And I want you to notice in Acts 23, verses 1 through 5, we're establishing his character through the events of his life because, guys, it is the events of your life that's going to reveal your true character, all right? I've given you that illustration before that, you know, you're carrying a coffee cup and you get shaken, you know, whatever's in that cup is going to come out, amen? And when you like, and you're just like us, when we start getting shaken in our life, What's on the inside is going to come out. Amen. That's what that, a true character is revealed in the midst of these types of situations. Look at Acts 23 with me. He's arrested here. Notice this in verse 1. And Paul earnestly behold in the council said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. Now watch this. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul and him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. For sittest thou uh, to judge me after the law, commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? But they that stood by, revilest thou God's high priest? Or they said in him, revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren. In other words, I knew not. I, I, I didn't know this, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, now watch this, thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Now Paul is uh, revealing his his expertise on the law, and verse 6 is what we had talked about when Paul perceived the Sadducees and Pharisees. That's when he brought up the idea about the resurrection. So let me ask you a question. Was Paul lying? Now, we're saying his character is revealed in his walk. His honesty is revealed in his walk. Was he lying when he said, I didn't know he was a high priest? Or was this so-called high priest living and acting in such a manner contradictory to the position of a high priest. Now, Paul already quoted the, the law that it was illegal for them to command a man be smitten who's been uncondemned, right? It's an obvious answer for several reasons. But I'm going to give you three reasons that will suffice tonight of why to reveal that Paul's character of honesty is seen 
in the midst of this event. Number one, a high priest should have known the law and therefore would not have had Paul struck in the manner that he did. Deuteronomy in chapter 25. It says, if there be a controversy between men and they come unto judgment, that the judgment say judge them, then they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. And it shall be, if the wicked man be worthy to be beaten, that the judge shall cause him to lie down and to be beaten before his face, according to his fault, by a certain number. Now, there was no controversy between men here. This was one man Paul brought in there with false accusations from everyone else. There was no testimony given for his defense. Fault was not found of him to be guilty, and the order of condemnation was not followed and or obeyed. That old boy just says, hey, smack him in the face. Okay? That's number one, while we know that Paul was telling the truth, saying, I, I didn't know he was a high priest. Number two, Paul fired back in a manner just like Jesus Christ did while he was here. Thou whited wall, he called him. Matthew chapter 23, verse 27 says, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful in the outward, but are within full of dead men's bones. And of all uncleanness. Only two places in all the Bible where the word white it appears is Jesus Christ's rebuke against the Pharisees and then Paul's rebuke against the high priest. And again, point the third reason is again, here we come back to the theme the God factor. We believe the Bible to be inerrant, do we not? We believe the Bible to be perfect, without void, without fault. It is perfect, it is purified, it is preserved. That's what we believe and we stand on. Matter of fact, we believe every single word, letter, and punctuation mark being here to be of God. Amen? If you don't, I'm sorry for you. I am. Because what verse isn't inspired? John 3, 16? Hmm? Romans 10, 9? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10? Can't pick it, can't cherry pick, can't, can't cherry pick and say, well, those are inspired, but these over here aren't. Park on that tithing here in just a moment again. Get y'all squirrely in your seats. Yeah, those are inspired too, by the way. Don't come to me after church and say, well, tithing's of the law, preacher. No, it wasn't. Abraham tithed unto Melchizedek long before the law. Hallelujah. Amen? So don't give me that. Paul says, let us walk honestly as in the day. Okay? Just weeks earlier. So if we believe the Word of God to be inspired, and we do, we believe Romans 10, 9 to be inspired. We use that for salvation all the time. We've got to believe Romans chapter 13, 13 is inspired, and that Paul writes it prior to him saying, I wish not that thou was a high priest. Why did he not know he was a high priest? Because that's sorry, money-grubbing, power-grubbing, seeking to destroy Christianity, a high priest, he didn't look, he didn't fit the bill. He wasn't acting and walking and living like he should, amen, as a high priest was supposed to. He was nothing, nothing more than a Roman puppet is what he was. So yeah, Paul was an honest man in his walk. And he was also an honest man in his work. And I want you to turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. He was an honest man in his work. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. The Bible says, For ye remember, that's verse 2, sorry. 9 and 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9 says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in. Uh, we had unto you, and how ye were to, ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, um, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus Christ, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So Paul's testimony when he comes into Thessalonica, 
all right, when he comes in there, was, was for him to be, um, for him to, uh, to have an honest testimony. So now go to the other chapter, which I was getting ready to read, verse 9. For ye remember, verse 9 in chapter 2, for ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for labor in night and day, because we would not be chargeable on any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Stop there. Go back to verse 9 in chapter 1. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. How did they do that? Well, mark the nines in your Bible. They did that because Paul came in. And he says, I'm not going to be children here, but I'm going to preach the gospel of God. Look at the very next verse in chapter 2, verse 10. Ye were witnesses in God also, how holy and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Amen? They, they behaved themselves in a righteous manner, in a righteous way. He made it very clear that I'm not going to be char chargeable to you. I'm going to earn my own way, my, earn my own keep. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to labor. Uh, you saw our travail, but you turned from your idols, chapter 1, verse 9. And unto God, how did you do that? Because we came in of our own accord. We supported ourselves. We took care of ourselves. We, we worked among ourselves. We didn't do anything like that, but we preached the gospel unto you. So they came up underneath of the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ and turned from their wicked idols because of what they heard and seen in Paul's life. Amen. Notice with me, if you will, we'll go to 2 Thessalonians here in just a moment. 2 Thessalonians, look over there with me. 2 Thessalonians chapter 11. Chapter 3, verse 11, I said chapter 11. Now notice on the back side, this is the second letter. On the back side of what we read, I'm not going to be chargeable to any of you. You saw our labor. You saw our travail. You turned from your idols unto God. How did you do that? Because we were not chargeable, not blamable to you. We worked. We labored night and day. We did our own thing. And then we preached the gospel of God in you. Therefore, you got saved. Now Paul writes back on the second letter, and this is what he says. Verse 11. He says, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat of their own bread. But ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. If you look at verse 10, it says, For even when we were with you, this we commanded. This is going back to his original time that he was together. That if any would not work, neither should they eat. Paul, the reason I bring all of those verses together there is that he's preaching honesty, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he's not only preaching it, guys, he's living it. He's not coming there living off of them, okay? He's telling them, you're going to have to get busy. And what he also does is he removes the whole idea that, well, I can't witness to someone because i got to go to work. i got to go later. No, no, no. Paul worked. Paul built tents. Paul did all these things night and day, and he still preached the gospel. And a whole city gets saved and born again, and the church is planted. Then he gets ran out, of course, and he goes to another city, and he does the same thing there, same thing in another place, another place, another place. And he says, if I can do this, you can do this. Amen? So he's, he's, we see his honesty in his walk. We see it in his work. Look over in Philippians chapter 3 with me. Thirdly, we see Paul is an honest man. We see it now in his way, in his way, the way he carries himself. Philippians in chapter 3. 
Philippians in chapter 3. Verse 17 tells us here, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. You know, again, he ties, the, uh, he ties in beautifully in the area of his honesty. If you believe the Bible to be inspired, then you have no problem understanding that Paul was incredibly honest, without a shred of doubt. Whatsoever Paul uh, did in his life, he did it. He was honest to a T. And I believe we need to take that on board. Let me say this to you guys. A half-truth is a whole lie. Be honest, amen. People today will hunt and peck and fault and find, trying to find failures in Paul's life. And I just, I ask myself, why, why do you want to find a failure in a man that's responsible for writing 14 books of the Bible? But why, you know? And when I say people, you know, fault finders, I'm not talking about the lost. I'm talking about men going and getting into pulpits. And I don't, I don't understand what this attraction is to try to tear this man of God down. I don't understand it. Paul's character, I think, is a beautiful thing. I'm, I'm very careful not to place him up above where he should be. But my soul, guys, I mean, you know, we need to understand that his, his, he's an honest man. Not only is he an honest man in his, his work, his walk, and his ways. We know that. I want you to see also, guys, and this is the part where maybe the reason why some people uh, want to tear him down. Go back to Acts 23. So not only was Paul an honest man, this is a part that I kind of like about Paul, among many. Paul was a hard man, okay? Paul's tough. Now come back to that same quote there in verse 3. God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. In honesty, I love it. He, he's right. You're breaking the law. You're, you, you know, you're, you're doing, you're ungodly. You're, you're vile. You're whited wall. In other words, you are full of dead men's bones. And guys, I'm going to tell you something. We have a society filled today that a majority of buildings, cathedrals, whatever you want to call it, may look good on the outside, but inside it's full of dead men's bones. I was looking at, I won't go down that road, but I was just thinking today that about, man, where we are. Um, I saw a post where my alma mater, secular school, but, you know, or secular degree, but undergrad, had a couple of these people that were now ordained reverends, Presbyterians, you know, it's a Presbyterian back university that they're in. I'm just shaking my head. You know, the Bible tells us that evil men shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And you have a world today filled with whited walls. Leaders that are whited walls. Tearing the scripture apart, not obeying it, and wonder why at the end of the day people aren't saved and born again. But see, when you believe that you're the chosen frozen, I guess it doesn't matter if you go out and witness the gospel. Paul was a hard man in his words. He was a hard man in his words. So I want you to look there. Uh, in, well, the screen, it's on the screen. You don't need to turn. But look in 1 Corinthians in chapter uh, 2 there. We'll look at 2 and verse 4. It says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with the excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. In my speech and my preaching, this is verse 4, was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, 
but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He wasn't interested in making them feel good, but seeing them saved and born again. 2 Corinthians in chapter uh, 3 and verse 12, the Bible says, Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. My dad always says plain speech is easily understood. Amen? 2 Corinthians in chapter 7 and verse 4 says, Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in our tribulation. He says, boldness of speech. You know, we even covered, a, we covered this in the Confidence series in 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, uh, where Paul was falsely accused. You know, part of the accusations we find in verse 10 of chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians says, For his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his boldness presence, his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. You know, you know those that will say that your speech is contemptible are those that are convicted when you tell them the truth. Okay? 2 Corinthians in chapter 11, verse 6, uh, Paul says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Think about it for a second. Why would it be seasoned with salt? What does salt do? It burns, man. You get some in your eye, it hurts, doesn't it? But what else does salt do? It cleanses, amen. It purifies, amen. Man, that, that, that salt, that word, that, it, it'll, it may hurt you coming in at, at the beginning, but man, that word of God will cleanse you, and it not only cleanse you, it'll keep you, amen. That's what Paul's talking about there. Yeah, you, and we need to have grace. We need to have, we need to have salt. Paul tells Titus there in Titus chapter 2, um, <coughs> Titus chapter 2, verse 8, he says, Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. It's plain speech Paul, Paul used. It, it was, he was a hard man in his words. Now, go back to Acts 13. I'm going to watch my time, guys. I know I'm getting here. It seems like I'm getting a little bit close. I'm going to finish these last two sub points up. I'll have you turn three more times. Uh, well, two more after this, Acts 13. And then um, uh, we'll close tonight, and I'll leave the other uh, two points um, <coughs> for next week. So Acts in chapter 13, let's go over here. Again, Paul was a hard man, all right? He's a hard man. Acts 13, verses 7 through 10. Now, we, this, we know this is Paul's first missionary journey. Paul had been uh, saved for 14 years now. And uh, so he was finally getting ready to go on his first missionary trip. And uh, they get over to the island of um, Cyprus, and they traverse the island, get into Paphos, and uh, that city over there. <coughs> Look at verse 7. The Bible says in verse 7, it says... Um, uh, which was with the deputy of the country, Sir Gaius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the, truth, from the faith. Then Saul, who also was called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O oh, uh, oh, full of all subtility and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Now, to me, that doesn't sound like popcorn and candy preaching, is it? He called him out for exactly what he is. That sorcerer right there had kept the whole city of Papas in darkness their whole life. He kept that governor in darkness. 
And old Paul and Barnabas parked up on the corner and began to preach the word. And that governor heard it. And he goes, I want to hear more of that. And that sorceress withstood him. And Paul didn't try to, well, he didn't mix his words. He didn't say, well, you know, uh, you know let me just try to, let me, let me try to empathize with him. Let me see if I can meet his needs. Let me see if I, no, he called him what he was. He called him a pervert. And then later on, you know, to cast blindness upon him. So we find that Paul, guys, is a hard man with his words. But look in 2 Corinthians now, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He's also a hard man with his work. We touched on this just a little bit in the last point, so we won't hang about here all that long. 2 Corinthians in chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. It says here in verse 8, For though I should boast some what more of, my, uh, of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification, and, and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. That I, may be, that I may not seem as I would terrify you by letters. For his letters say uh, they are weighty and powerful and his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a one think this, that such as uh, we are in, in word by letters when we are absent, so uh, such will we be also indeed when we are present. So what his words were hard, he was going to follow up with his work as well with his work. Just as, uh, as an honest man in his work, he was a hard man in his work. Last look over in Second Peter in chapter 3 with me. Last time I have you turn tonight, then we'll close with one verse and, and be finished this evening. Second Peter in chapter 3, verse 16. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 16, if you will. Wow, get over there. Keep grabbing too many pages. So not only that, but we see that Paul is also a hard man in his writing, in his writing. Second Peter chapter 3 and in verse, um, verse 16, the Bible tells us here, and this is Peter speaking, he says, as also in all his epistles, speaking of Paul, he references him in verse 15, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. You know, we went over this in times past. We've preached messages on this, uh, how people will, will wrestle with the inspired words of God uh, because they are unlearned, because they are unstable. But these written words of Paul, guys, these words were convicting them. And because they convicted them, that's why they took out, uh, that's why they, they took out um, these accusations against them. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 9 says that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. Who are going to be terrified by Paul's letters today? It is going to be those who are unstable, those who are trying to deceive others, and those who will simply falsely, falsely accuse Paul of who and what he was. So again, tonight, guys, I wanted just to kind of re-review re, re this, if you will. Go back over this lesson just to reveal some of the character of Paul and what was revealed in the midst of trials. It's one thing to have a a character, if you will, when things are wonderful and the sun's shining and things are just going great. But man, when it gets dark and cold and gloomy and wet, and, you know, and things just aren't going the way they should, that's when that character starts to seep out just a little bit more. And we find with Paul, even in the midst of blessings and in the midst of blastings, that character of his was seen, a character of an honest man and a character of a hard man. Will you bow your heads tonight? Father, thank you, Lord, for who and what you are, for all that you've done. I thank you for the many blessings you've given us. 
Pray you take our lesson tonight, Lord, apply it into our heart, Lord, allow us to learn from it, allow, allow us to uh, lead from it, Lord, and just give us the guidance, the grace, and the mercy that we need in our life, Lord, to better serve you. So bless the rest of our service, our prayer time to follow, in Jesus' name, amen and amen.